0: and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right. Welcome back into the show. This is Neil McCready. Chris Landry with me as well. I had a little technical issue there. So we're a few minutes late getting started. Apologize for that. It's SEC football and beyond. And we are going to talk SEC West today. I asked for some questions on Twitter for Chris and I. Got some of those, Chris. Uh, Good to talk to you. Good to talk to you. Sorry
1: for the technical difficulties. Uh, You're dealing with a dumb football guy here. So I have no idea what I did wrong, if I did anything wrong, but it continues to happen here. But we've got a backup plan. So always good coaching, right, is have a good backup plan. So we got one here. So as I was saying before we got disconnected, was I, I saw the first effects Sunday night of a team that did not hit in practice. And uh, Ken Matololo at Navy was very adamant. They weren't going to hit in practice. And it certainly looked like it. That did not look like Navy. Uh, very curious as we get the SEC season coming away in a couple of weeks. Um, we're going to see a little bit of how how many practices people's, uh, people have had, how much work have they been able to put into the physical part. Because, Neil, what happens at the college and the pro level is you see the negative effects of the lack of tackling more than anything, blocking more than anything. That's where things are going to be noticed early, and it's going to come out, maybe some surprising performances. So I was a little surprised, and you can see the more physical team, no doubt, was BYU. And yeah, Navy's not a team that's going to come from behind, but that was interesting. And I, I as I'm watching and I'm thinking, hmm, Going to be interesting to see how this plays out here in the next week or two.
0: Yeah, because you you look around as we, you know, we'll talk SEC in a minute. NFL season starts on Thursday. The uh, NFL didn't have preseason games. They didn't do that kind of cross camping that they normally do during training camp or maybe I'm making up teams. So don't before anybody goes, those teams never train against each other. Uh, You know, where maybe the Dolphins and the Chargers get together for five or six days and the coaches are like, okay, today we want to work on this. And the, the Chargers coaches go, okay, tomorrow we want to work on this. And so they get that work in. They didn't get any of that. So when the season starts, even though those are pros, I expect week one in the NFL and probably week two as well to be pretty sloppy.
1: Well, I think it will. And it normally is a little bit sloppy, even more so this year for the reasons that you mentioned. You've not had the time to spend in practices with other teams um, as you mentioned, and you not had the preseason game. So I, I think it's look, it's, I think people are just happy to have football. And if you're happy that's to right. have football, that's fine. It's not going to be aesthetically pleasing, but, and I think this is where people are going to notice it more as if you're going to have some weird outcomes, particularly early, like, boy, I didn't see that. Is this team going to be a whole lot better or a whole lot worse than I thought? I don't think that's indicative of what Navy's going to be, and I don't think necessarily the early part of the season is going to be as indicative of how it's going to be as the season goes along. But then again, if you have some issues with health and positive testing, it could affect certainly your preparation. And it, we could see teams have their spell, bad spell, during the middle of the year as opposed to the beginning of the year. So
0: it's going to be an interesting year. Prattie Farmer in the in this, uh, stream says, are other SEC teams not tackling in practice? Here's Here's the honest answer. Because it's been so closed up, no one really knows. Uh, I can only talk about the one program that I cover. I have not seen a single snap of practice. Uh, It's been completely closed down. Coaches have always wanted to be private in the preseason. And frankly, COVID has given them the cover to be completely private. Lane Kiffin said that Ole Miss, in their first scrimmage, did not tackle. In the second scrimmage that he talked about, Uh, He said that they tackled part of the time. They had another scrimmage on Saturday. We'll talk to him later today. I'm sure that will be one of the questions that will be asked about tackling. But no one really knows. And so it's, to your point, in 18 days when the season begins, hopefully, you know, my guess is that most of these SEC teams, because the preseason is so long, they've gotten into some tackling and they'll be okay. Okay but no one really knows exactly what they're, what they're dealing with, with this COVID thing. I saw today where I think it's Tulsa and is it Oklahoma state got pushed yep. back a week? Yep. yep. You no, know, because Tulsa has some COVID issues. So, you know, I, I don't know that, that the coaches necessarily know precisely what they're, what they're dealing with, what they should be doing, what they shouldn't be doing. This is, I mean, it's virgin territory for everybody. And so a,
1: no doubt. Um, most are telling me that what they're doing is not bringing guys to the ground. You know, they're they're tackling wrap-up to what we call the thud. But there's, there's some that are going a little bit live, you know, to try to simulate some scrimmage work. But it is not a lot of it because you're dealing with, okay, you don't want to increase the chances of injuries. Everything, though, is about getting your body prepared for when you are starting. So, like in the SEC, they're not there yet. Because they've got two or three weeks, but if you're talking about Oklahoma, well, Oklahoma State, you mentioned is now backed up with with Tulsa, but Georgia Tech, Florida State, for example, I'm looking at teams that are playing this week, Duke, Notre Dame, those are teams that have gone a little bit more live because if you don't prepare your body for when you do hit, your body is going to struggle when that hitting takes place. I always use this analogy. If you're preparing to run a marathon, you don't, the way you do it is you don't wake up and say, man, I haven't run in ages. I'm running 20 miles today. No, you, you work it, you know, you work it in increments. Well, football is no different. You've got to be able to work it, bring it, and then gradually. So, um, I, I, I will say this, that The Naval Academy did it a little bit differently because of who they are and kind of what they want to do, and I I think we're going to see others. I'm I'm curious to see Duke, Notre Dame, curious curious to see Syracuse, North Carolina, curious to see Clemson, Wake, um, you know, in particular. uh, Not 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 so much Oklahoma uh, against Missouri State, but I want to see them. But uh, those are some some intriguing games this week. Then I'm curious to see um, Louisiana Tech, Baylor. You know, uh, yeah, yeah. another one uh, that um, I'm, I'm curious to see how that's going to play. out. Uh, by the way, Jake Burton, the uh, you know, the kid that transferred uh, um, over from UCLA is going to get the start at right tackle for Baylor this week. You talking about like, I mean, he was last week. Boom. He's in the starting lineup. But anyway, I digress. It's going to be interesting to see as we, we get ready. And I know we're going to start breaking down the conference, the, the divisions in, in the SEC. And um, part of it is in mind who's coming back, how they're preparing it. We're going to take a look at the schedules or the new schedule as you had a couple of additions and how that's going to affect things. And, yeah, you know, is the schedule going to reflect how good some of these teams are going to be real interesting?
0: All right, let's let's get into the SEC West a little bit. We'll do SEC East on uh, Friday. Mm-hmm. So let's get, it, let's get into the West today. And if, if you're talking SEC West and I know LSU dominated it a year ago, but I still think it's Alabama's division uh, for the most part. I mean, Auburn has has been a contender. LSU had a magical season, but but Alabama for the past I don't know dozen years or so has essentially been the omnipresent leader of the division. So let's start there. And it's really where I think if you told me I could have one SEC coach in a COVID year like this, I think I'd say Nick Saban, and not because of his ability to recruit. Not because of his ability to coach or schematics or whatever. It's because the underrated part of Nick Saban to me is his adaptability. And I think he will be, I expect Alabama will be quite adapted to this and and perhaps less rusty than some of the uh, the other programs in the SEC West. And that's not to rip on on you know Ed Orgeron or Gus Malzon or or Jimbo Fisher or anybody like that. It's just I trust Nick Saban's ability to adapt to a changing environment.
1: I don't think there's any doubt about it. No one is prepared. No one prepares and has the infrastructure in place that's going to allow him to make the adjustment. So he's already, you know, for example, when you've got to all of a sudden take two new opponents on your schedule that no one didn't know going into the year all summer. No one is better prepared to kind of get that figured out, um, with what he's assembled, his organization skills, his ability to stay on top of things to where, you know, there, there is a difference between certain head coaches, uh, their delegators, like a dabble, Sweeney, and an Ed Orgeron, and they have success doing it that way. But with Nick Saban, Nick Saban coaches, the coaches, Nick Saban, While doesn't call the plays on offense, he sets the structure of how things are going to be called, the overall direction of what they want, and certainly on defense how it's going to be called and what they, you know. So those things, when they bring in coaches, the coaches adjust to the philosophy that's put in place. Whereas other coaches, you know, will delegate and like Bo Pelini is running a completely different defense at LSU and kind of doing whatever he wants because he has the freedom to do it, and because that's not the head coach's strength. So, you know, that's kind of how things play out in Alabama. And so, therefore, anything that happens, surprisingly, unexpectedly, he's able to handle that. Uh, He's able to do that a little bit better than others. And so I think that's going to be interesting to see how it plays out going forward, and I do agree with you. I think they're going to be in a better position to adjust. And if you look at it, um... They also have an advantage, Neil, in that they've got a lot of pro prospects. But they're pro prospects for the most part. And the ones that came out last year came out because of their grades, their, their draft grades. But there is this kind of this mission that if you don't win the title there one year, it's like the earth is not on its axis. Let's come back. And so it's there's pa- a lot of guys. A,
0: it's pass fail.
1: Yeah, it is. It is. And so it's like we need to get back we need to get it done and we're coming back. We're in a mission to it. So I think that attitude is probably more prevalent there than any place. Whereas I think you've seen in some other places where, you know, Hey, look, we, we, we're moving on. We're looking at ourselves. And I think there's a little bit more of that, that cohesiveness that's built from the top at Alabama than others. And I think they have the best roster. They have the best coach. So I agree with you. I, I, I think it is, you know, through Alabama and, you know, um, and everyone's chasing them.
0: What do you think about that quarterback position there? Mac Jones appears to be the starter. They've got the really talented freshman coming in, and Bryce Young. Tua's gone to the Miami Dolphins. He's not going to start Week One, but Tua's going to be an NFL uh, standout sooner rather than later. Uh, so they lose a lot of of the, I guess the dynasty. What's the word? It was very dynamic uh, with with Tua. Mac Jones, probably not as dynamic of a player as to it, but I think he's a pretty steady quarterback and a guy who's got a chance to, to probably play at the next level. But you know a lot more about that than I do. When you look at his game, how do you see him fitting in with, with Alabama and how far can he take them?
1: One of the things I thought that Alabama did the past couple of years, just dynamic as they were, and you know this, fans, Nate Neal, feel like, man, wouldn't it be great if we had that high-flying offense Combined with that great stifling defense that we always have. Doesn't work that way. When you go with a high-tempo offense, your defense is going to be on the field more snaps. Common sense, you're going to give up more yards and more points. So the defense wasn't as dominant. Why? Well, okay, Pete Golden can't call a defense. You know, that's, you know, one theory. The biggest reason is because of Alabama's offense. That's why their defense could not play the, that's complimentary ball. You throw in all the injuries and maybe some issues and call and play. So All those things are fair points. But the biggest thing that I think with Mac Jones is I think they're going to go back to being what Alabama's been. Really good offensive line. They're going to be able to run the football well. They're going to be able to throw it. But I think they're going to play more ball control. They're going to play better at the line of scrimmage. They're going to play to their defensive strength. All of those things I think are going to make Alabama what has been Alabama. And I, I I submit to you, how many times has Alabama won the title when they've been a spread it out explosive offense? The answer is zero. They haven't been able to do that. They've fallen short because when like a great basketball team has a bad shooting night, great off- offensive scoring team, has a bad shooting night, what happens? They go home. Well, in a one-game shootout situation, that tends to happen. What is constant, what is stable, What is takes you through the high times and low times is great defense, great running game. They have to be able to throw the football, and I think they'll be able to throw it, but I think they're going to be a little bit more of a play better at the line of scrimmage. And their defense is going to be better and stronger as a result of it.
0: Yeah, I, I do too. I, I I just I like their team. I like everything about their team. I think they're very balanced. They won't be as too eccentric, and that's not a knock on on Tua Tungavaloa. But I think you'll see them be a far more balanced team. All right. So here's one of the questions we solicited some questions on Twitter. So we'll we'll flip from uh, Alabama to Texas A and M here with this question. This comes from uh, Eddie at Eddie underscore Jackson underscore. He says, A&M, referring to Texas A&M, gets hyped as a dark horse for the West every year. But they typically finish around fourth in the division. Why is that? And is this year any different? Well, more than a fair question. Yeah,
1: it is. But I don't know that. Look, I mean, I, I can't speak for other people. I didn't think a and last year. I thought when you look at their roster compared to their schedule, there were four or five losses on it. So I, I didn't think they'd win. I mean, how are they going to beat Clemson, Georgia, Alabama? They're not. And they certainly didn't have the roster to beat LSU going into the year. Heck, their roster wasn't as good as LSU's two years ago when they beat them in a and in that 7 overtime, you know, unbelievable, weird, wacky game. So i no i think the issue is just people are looking to who's asleep or who's it well sometimes there's not i think a m is progressing as a program they've got a lot of financial infrastructure the recruiting is going good i think that jimbo's a very good coach but i think people want to make something that's not there you have to look at getting better and you you if you all you can look at is the the result of win losses you're you're missing. The bigger picture because sometimes you're not better, but your record's better. Sometimes you are better and your record's not. I do think that AM's getting better. Does it mean that I think that they're ready to make that move this year? Look, this year, if you're making predictions on who's a surprise is not, you're kidding yourself because we don't know what week to week is going to look like. Yeah. I will just say this that AM's future is really good. Um, but I still say Alabama has more overall talent. LSU has more overall talent. Auburn has more overall talent in the West, but AM is closing the gap and you can get better, Neil, and still be second or third in the West and still be pretty dargum good. And you got to play all those teams. Yeah. And then if you, in addition to playing those teams, you have to play Georgia, which that's second, like, you know, and then you have to play Clemson. Well, I mean, they figured that out. Well, you know, I mean, how anybody thought they'd be 10 and two, that was foolish. There was, that would be major upset after major upset in my mind, personnel wise, if they had done that. So I didn't see them as that. Now I see them getting better, but I still don't think they're there, but I I wouldn't surprise me at home. If they were to surprise an LSU this year, I think that's doable where last year, I didn't think that was doable even going into the year. And as the season unfolded, I sure as heck didn't think it was a chance. we
0: we'll, could we'll tell us you in a minute? I want to stay on A&M though, because I think one of the things that happens and it's, it's a media thing and it's lazy, my opinion, and, and I do it too. I fall guilty to it is we do this thing every year, no matter what, Hey, who's coming back. Who's a return. <laughs> who's a returning starter. And so sometimes it'll be, oh, well, this team, I know they were five and seven a year ago, but man, they were turned 17 starters. And so five and seven is going to turn into nine and three. And I always think to myself, why are we doing this? And it feels like, and I'm not trying to pick on Kellen Mond here, but it feels like one of the reasons that people are high on Texas A&M this year is in a year where so many quarterbacks are gone, you know, two is gone. Joe Burrow's gone. Uh, You know, there's a turnover at that position. It it feels like, uh, well, because Kellen Mond is back, we're going to pick A&M as the, as the big contender against Alabama. And no knock on Mond. I thought he was fine. But I never watched Kellen Mond last year and thought, this is a guy that can put a program on his back and carry him to a title. He was an okay player. He was fine. Am I wrong or am I missing something or is this a guy who you expect you know a quantum leap from one year to the next.
1: Uh, no, I think you're right. I will say that Jimbo has had one heck of a track record of getting as much out of a quarterback as there is to have. And so I think it's fair to say that whatever Kellen Mond can be, Jimbo will do one of the best jobs around at the college game anyway of getting as much out of that as possible. I think the key for A&M, though, it's not Kellen Mond. It's about their ability to run the football well, play well at the line of scrimmage, yep. and begin to look on the defensive line like an Alabama, like an LSU, like an Auburn. When you can do that, that's the key. People do focus on the quarterback. Oh, he's this, he's that. Well, quarterback is going to take some chances when you get behind and you're not as good around them. It's, it's all a collaborative effort. So I think as AM gets better, then it won't be as much on Kellen Mott. There're not many quarterbacks that can put a team on its back. Even a Joe Burrow last year that yeah, he put his team on its back, but with a lot of great receivers, really good protection. I mean, it wasn't just all him.
0: No, they um, were th- that team was very very balanced. They had edwards Alaire in the backfield. They were loaded at receiver with a bunch of guys, Chase, yeah. and Jefferson and all those guys. They were they were, and they were very good up front, a veteran group that was had a lot of cohesiveness. And then Burrow played yeah. Just fantastic football.
1: And without Burrow, they don't win the title. With Burrow and while some of these components, they don't win the title. So this whole well, thats the difference. I think Kellen Mond is can be a good quarterback. I think he can. You can win with him. Again, I think he has some dual threat capabilities that can allow this offense to flourish a little bit. And I think Neil, people are always who's the who's the who's going to be the Joe Burrow this year. Uh, no one is going to be the Joe Burrow of this year. That's not – there's a reason why that was such a weird year. Um, and who do you have coming back? Well, you know, there's no tool coming back. Burrow's not coming back. So you got Kyle Kress, you got Kellen Mann, and everybody else that's, you know, either has some skill sets that are intriguing, but we don't have that right now in the conference where last year we had a really good stock of quarterbacks that you could point to and say, boy, good, good, good. The only difference is some of them are gone, and we, we've got left over some, some, um, you know, some. I think some potential. So, look, I, I think Kellen Mann is got some ability, and I think Jimbo will do a good job with them. But it only is relative to how well they're able to run the football and play defense. That's going to be the key of whether they can maybe surprise and win a game or two that maybe I don't think they can
0: win at this point. We'll find out early. They open with Vanderbilt, so they get a they get a W out of the gate. I think that's safe to say. Then they have to go to Tuscaloosa. They play t- uh, Florida <laughs> there in College Station. So you get, in my opinion, the the two best teams in the SEC, bang bang, right there in weeks two and three. Uh, they go to Mississippi State. They get Arkansas at home. Then they go to South Carolina to Tennessee. Uh, they get Ole Miss at home. They get LSU at home. They finish at Auburn. I mean it's a, it's, a, it's we all say this about every team but that's a brutal schedule and if you start one and two you already get some of that internal doubt that kicks in. Yeah, it, yeah
1: like hey, one and two, which going on? They're overrated again. Uh I'm sorry, there's no way it's a surprise and the story, the headline is if they if they start two and one How the heck they're going to do that? Because I got to tell you, it's not not beating Alabama, and it's very unlikely that they beat Florida unless something weird happens in a COVID year. I don't see that happening. So I expect them to be one and two. Now, if they stub their toe at Mississippi State or at South Carolina or at Tennessee, um, you know, uh, if they don't beat LSU at home, you know, know, I think if they end up with a four-loss team this year, I think you can say, okay, when that's underachieving, but I don't think they've underachieved to this point. I just don't think they're, you know, quite where they need to be. Now, again, I'm going to preface everything. Probably every week with a COVID year, it could be weird. And you could have a team, you know, they could end up beating one of these teams that I don't think they're they're as good as and then lose to somebody they're not good at. And it may be directly correlated to COVID. But I don't think there's any doubt that one and two is a high probability. I mean, I don't see any scenario that they start better than one and two yet I still think they could end up um you know with a with a three loss season which to me would be pretty good in most people's eyes oh there's a point and I think let's not kid ourselves he's making 10 million a year oh you pay somebody 10 million a year then you expect to win a national championship in three years it doesn't work that way it just doesn't work that way not in this division in this conference
0: all right one of the wild card teams I think in the SEC Chris is Auburn I got a question from an uh, Auburn baseball enthusiast on Twitter. He says, which line is a bigger liability for Auburn this season, offense or defense? So as we switch to the Tigers, when you look at them, what, what causes you uh, some concern when you look at their lines of scrimmage?
1: More their offensive line right now. Um, they're losing a lot on the defensive line, so it's, it's understandable to say about where. But I like what they do there on the defensive line. I like some of the young guys, and I think they'll get after it the offensive line, and how they try to run their offense. And again, I do think that if if Gus is going to be hands-off longer than he's ever been, it will be with Chad. But it all starts up front. Um, I think they have a chance to be a pretty decent offensive line as the year goes along. But I have more questions about their offensive line going into the year.
0: Let's talk about this Malzahn-Morris dynamic, because I think it's awfully interesting. Uh, Chad Morris, last couple of seasons, was the, the head coach at Arkansas. It just didn't work out there, but he's considered an a extremely bright offensive mind. He goes over to Auburn. Malzahn has always, at least from the outside looking in, had a difficult time sort of taking his hands off of the offense, off of the play calling. He seems to just want to get back into that, especially in in kind of moments of of crisis. It was to me it, it he's never been criticized for that, and maybe the way that, that Ed Orgeron had been criticized at LSU for you know, hey, are, are you are you going to be able to hire people, delegate, and then when it comes crunch time, take your hands off of it, close your eyes, and just go, hey, I hired these people to do a job, I'm going to let them do it. I'm curious to see with Malzon. does he do that with Chad Morris? Does this become Chad Morris's offense? Is this Malzon's offense? Or even though they're buddies and they, they're longtime friends and they love to talk ball and stuff, does that become a little bit of a conflict?
1: They will collaborate better than even, say, somebody like Rhett Lashley who was kind of Gus's guy and kind of teaching him and then obviously maybe jumping in there and doing more than just, you know, more and more helping as the problems evolve. I think there's, there's more of a, um, not, not just a friendship, but more of an equal footing thoughts and processes of putting together an offense. And so I, the answer is, I, I think there's a little bit more of a collaborative effort, but I think initially, it, at least initially, it's Chad's going to have a little bit more freedom as long as it's having success. Um, the, 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 the problem that evolves with this offense, at least Gus's offense, Gus is, this is where how Gus got the job because his offense and how he does it. And when it works, it works well, but it is not real complex. What it, in its Zenith, what it is, it's about power run game out of up tempo and you get defenses aligned before they can line up and you run with good powerful run block and offensive lines. But when you can adjust and make on field adjustments quickly, there is no ability to work the passing game off of it. Or, or there's never been the ability to develop it. I go back to games where a couple of years ago, they're beating LSU at halftime, 20 nothing, and Dave Aranda makes adjustments, and they give the passing game to Auburn, and Auburn could not execute it at all. And they blew that game, and LSU dominated him in the second half. That happens more often than not. It's very finite what Gus likes to do, and he's not very eclective in his views. Chad is if Chad can get more out of the passing game with a talented young quarterback, then I think you you will see him give it more and more to Chad and let him, if it doesn't work, anybody gonna gonna gamble or bet that that Gus is not going to take reins of it again. Cause when it doesn't work, he'll jump in and say, look, it's my, you know, what on the line and I'm yeah. going to my way. And, that's what he does. So that's kind of how I read it. But that for the success of this Auburn program, I think that Chad's going to have to get more out of the passing game while still allowing some of the elements and the tentacles of what Gus likes to do. And I think Chad understands that better than anybody that's been there. So we'll see how well it works.
0: All right. We got a question from Cole Woods. We're going to transition to uh, the rest of the SEC West, which is all new coaches, Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss, Mike Leach. At Mississippi State, Sam Pittman at Arkansas. But his question is, which SEC quarterback would you give the best odds to winning the Heisman? I'm not calling Bo Nix a Heisman candidate whatsoever after his freshman year. He it was up and he was down, and then up, and had some moments, had some uh, had some freshman moments as well. So a twofold question: What do you think of Nix at Auburn? And then if I, if if the football gods came down and told you, "Hey, Chris, an SEC quarterback wins the Heisman," who would you think it would be?
1: Boy, uh, I like Bo Nix kind of refer back to what I said with Chad and what he could do with Bo and that, that, you know, certainly you could write a script where if he had a really good year and he threw the football well and, and Auburn became the surprise team in the West. Yeah, that, that might be the candidate there. Who else? Uh, we just discussed Mon, and I don't think that's realistic. Um, could Kyle Trask have a really good year And Florida, have a really good year? Is it going to translate into Heisman votes? I, I, I honestly don't see one, but if you had, if you had told me last year that Joe Burrow was getting ready to win the Heisman, I have said, I'd try again, you know, I don't, I don't. So, I mean, uh, that's the best I can give you there on, on, uh, just in terms of kind of where things are, are going. Um, I, I, I do think. This is a transition year for quarterbacks. I thought last year, even though Burrow was the guy, at least last year, you could make the case for a couple guys, namely a quarterback at Alabama that had a Heisman potential. I I don't see that this year because when you look at it, it's about numbers and it's about team success. But let's also look and say it's going to be a unique year. We got two conferences not playing. I mean, so you got, you know, um, you know, I, I I certainly would put some other people in the mix, um, more than I would. I mean, I would have put Justin Fields in that absolutely in that category pretty early, um, and he's certainly not. Trevor Lawrence would be somebody in that category. I don't see anybody from the SEC at this point being a.
0: You told me there was one in the SEC. It would be Trask. and that's a reach at Florida. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, I you know I think he could I think he could have a good season, but uh. I don't. I don't see him.
1: They go out. unbeaten. He plays well. They maybe. You know. I mean. They win the. Uh, yeah. I mean. That's a possibility. Is he going to have the numbers where people tend to vote numbers? I don't know about that. Now he could. He could put up some pretty good dual threat numbers. We'll see. Yeah, that would be the best best possibility. And you know, I would throw in a guy like a Bo Nix, which I don't really see that as a real possibility, but. If he does put up good numbers and Auburn is a surprise team, are they good enough as a team to warrant it? I mean, I think that's always a factor in the Heisman discussion.
0: All right, let's switch to the new programs. We'll, we'll start with Arkansas. Sam Pittman uh, inherits a program that has not won an SEC game since winning at Ole Miss, and I think that was late October of 2017. It was a day that Brett Bealima won. I was covering that game. I actually got into the press box elevator to go down to the field at the same time with uh, the Arkansas athletic director, who looked like he had seen a ghost because I think he anticipated that Brett Bielema would lose that day and that that would be that. And instead, Bealima won, and it kind of rallied the troops for a little while. But we know the rest of that story. Bielema was ultimately let go. They brought in um, the aforementioned Chad Morris who just was unable to gain traction at Arkansas. He, he get, didn't get through two seasons. So um, they then go out in the offseason. I thought Arkansas was in position to hire Lane Kiffin. For whatever reason, either they dragged their feet on it or decided not to go that direction. It really depends on who you hear. And at this point, it doesn't matter. They end up hiring Sam Pittman, the former offensive line coach at Georgia. He comes in and... Uh, it was a, a hire that got scoffed at a lot around the country when it was made. He's been a big hit in Arkansas so far. He's reached out to the people. He's uh, got a lot of personality, the whole yes, sir, thing. But there's a lot more to Sam Pittman than that. He's regarded as a as an excellent recruiter. He uh, He has people there understanding that this is going to be a haul and this is going to be a slog. But in many ways, I think, he benefits here a little bit because no one will hold this year against him. Their schedule, and I'm about to put it on the on the on the scroll, is just brutal. But uh, no one's going to hold it against him if he doesn't win a game or only wins one game. It's year zero for Sam Pittman in Arkansas. What do you think of of their team? And as it pertains to Arkansas, a bigger question: What do you think of their program?
1: I think um, as a team, it's a major rebuild. Uh, the roster is as bad as anybody outside of Vanderbilt in this league. Um, a long way to go, long way to go. So that's only going to be corrected in recruiting. You're correct. It's a it's a year to kind of establish yourself in your program and how you want it to look, how you're going to practice, how you're going to do things, and then more importantly, how do you develop your recruiting philosophy and how you're going to go forward there because it's a, it's a big, big gap particularly, um, you know, kind of where they are and where they need to be to be competitive. Um, As a program, they've taken a step back. I think when you make a couple of hires that don't work. So we obviously go back to Petrino and Petrino wasn't great at recruiting, but had some really good teams. Then you get Brett in, and Brett's going to come in. He's going to play big power ball and challenge Alabama and LSU, being playing muscle ball. And he doesn't recruit like it, and he doesn't have the success. And so they said, "We we got to do it differently." So we're going to go get an offensive guy that's going to going to do this differently and going to be fun and freewheeling. And we're going to and 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 he doesn't recruit well. And so non-competitive. And I think what really got Chad is when you're not even doing a good job against non-conference teams, no progress. So when you have that, the program slips in terms of national identity. And so it became an issue to where, yeah, there was, you know, th- there were some candidates, but, um, you know, for example, a guy like a Mike Norvell was not even considering a place like that if there's a Florida State opening yet. Yeah, yeah. That would have been a, an Arkansas job. After, say, Petrino or, you know, let's say the program was kind of at that level, I think he would have jumped with his ties there. So so I think the program it needs a, a facelift and a rebuild. Sam loves the place. Yep. He had a lot of background and ties there. So that's why he got it. It's only going to work if he's able to build an infrastructure of recruiting. And it, again, he's got a long way to go and it's going to be built around offensive line. That's fine. Be really good. That's your identity. You know, are they going to try to be the Kentucky of the West? Really well-coached team at Kentucky. Very good on the offensive line. Very physical on defense. Can compete. I think there's, at Arkansas, they believe they should be a better program than, say, Kentucky. That they feel like they should be a little bit more competitive. But looking up at it, um, they're they're in the have-not category of the west teams as a program they do have tyson chicken money they do you have walmart money you have jerry yeah. jones money but I,
0: you know it's more than just the money it's how you use it is there a game or two on this schedule that you look at and say hey this could be a this could be a win they open with georgia and fayetteville at mississippi state at auburn they get ole miss at home in week four at texas a&m uh, tennessee at home at florida home against lsu at missouri home against Alabama, I mean, they got no favors from the league when they put the schedule out. This It it is a brutal slate. Just
1: the two Mississippi schools and Missouri, if those programs are having some problems and underachieved, you know, other than a a COVID win, I no, I don't. They're not even competitive in most of those games. Uh, You think maybe early in the year, is Mississippi State going to, you know, second week of the year. I mean, I, I don't think so, but that, that would be a, you know, possibility. Um, you know, I, I don't, I, that, that oh Miss, Missouri, are the only three at this point that I give them any chance and that would probably take some circumstances. Um, I'd put the over under in, in a win, I mean, that's all sec games at one. I mean, I, I don't know, maybe they can get one. I, I really do. If they win two games, You'd have to convince me that, you know, other than a COVID win, what would cause that to happen? Because I don't see it, Neil. I really don't.
0: All right. Let's switch to uh, to Ole Miss. You talked about the Mississippi schools. We'll finish with them. Lane Kiffin in year one at Ole Miss. You've come on my show, the Oxford Exxon podcast a couple of times and talked about the fit uh, of, of Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss. It's interesting kind of dovetailing with Arkansas there's there will always be comparisons about Kiffin at Arkansas Kiffin at Ole Miss whatever I think Kiffin is a much better fit at uh at Ole Miss than he would have been at Arkansas and I think Pittman is a much better fit at Arkansas than Kiffin would have been Kiffin's personality it's it's kind of twofold Chris he has a Twitter personality which is uh kind of out there and 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 uh very energetic and uh, funny and snarky and, and all of that. And then he has a real-life personality that is much more introverted, kind of shy, small circle, doesn't really like that flesh pressing. And I, in my opinion, and I I'm, look, I'm not going to pretend to be an Arkansas expert because I have a kid there, but I've spent some time there. And I do think the coach there has to be with the people a little bit. It's a different media culture at Arkansas than it is at Ole Miss. It's uh, not saying one's better or worse or any of that before anybody thinks I'm criticizing. It's just different. Kiffin fits at Ole Miss a little bit better, or a lot bit better, I think, than he would have fit at Arkansas. But he inherits a program that has been through some tumult, as you know. Um, Ole Miss won with Hugh Freeze. Then the Hugh Freeze thing just completely fell apart. Two NCAA letters, no matter what you think of the viability of those letters. Uh, they hire Matt Luke for an interim season. The intention was for that to be only an interim season, and then Ole Miss did what you cannot do in coaching searches. It let one game get emotional. Ole Miss went down to, to Startville and won on Thanksgiving night in 2017, and the players wanted Matt Luke, and a handful of boosters wanted Matt Luke, and Ole Miss hired Matt Luke when Ole Miss, then athletic director Ross Bjork, was going to go in a different direction and Matt Luke, as nice of a guy as he is, as respectable of a guy as he is, as good of a guy as he is, he just couldn't get traction at his alma mater. And two years later, the Elijah Moore thing happens in Startville. Yet again, that game goes the other way. And Ole Miss once again says, we can't do this. We, we This doesn't work. Let's go out and make a hire. They hire Lane Kiffin. And it it has. it's funny, it has created a lot of uh, momentum outside of of Ole Miss and inside, because he's not hands-on, he's kind of cut out the boosters. There's a little Nick Saban feel to him in the way that he runs his program. It's got a lot of people kind of antsy. It's an interesting dynamic in Oxford.
1: It is. It's another rebuild. You look at the roster, you look at the scholarships. He's done pretty much the only thing that he can do at this point is assess as best he can off of film who he likes going forward on his roster and who he doesn't. And he is going to be very active in trying to improve it and improve it quickly. Um, it was no uh, surprise or uh, secret as to why he was very vocal, Neil. And I know you were probably, I know you were on top of this when he was talking about, well, I think all oh, these guys, these Pac-12 guys should be eligible immediately. And the first sure. thing was he liked to get as many of those guys to you know help early on As possible for next year, even if well they can't contribute. But for next year, because he knows it's going to take a few recruiting classes. That's his strength. He's a good recruiter. He's going to have to recruit well. If he can recruit well, I think his dynamic ability on offense to be creative. If he gets playmakers, he could do that. But you know, um, he's it's going to take a little time, and it and it's tough. It's one thing to do it um, in Boca and, and to be able to, you know, at FAU have some success where you have as good of resources as anybody in your league versus doing it in the SEC West where it's going to be very, very competitive, where yep. everybody pretty much, with the exception of Arkansas, that you're going to play in the West has got better talent. Mississippi State uh, is, is, you know, it's kind of in that class too, but maybe a little bit cut above. So look, I, I I think it's going to be interesting. I don't know how well it's going to work, how it's going to jive, but I think you recruit well. And if he has success and uh, obviously it's going to be a lot of fun, you'll you'll have fun covering it. I know
0: that. So it looks like Ole Miss is going to go with Matt Corral at quarterback. The media love John Rice Plumley. It's my opinion. And this is an educated opinion from talking to people that are in and around the program. That so much of what Ole Miss wants to do at the quarterback position is in the future. They want to recruit. Uh there's some high level national recruits that they're recruiting in the next three years. You've heard of one of them in Arch Manning in, in I guess, 2023. uh, uh the uh, the Martin kid the kid from UT Martin, the UT Martin coach's son, I can't think of his name right now, it's escaping me. Uh Luke Altmeyer, who's committed to uh to Florida State right now, is a kid from Mississippi that Ole Miss Wants a lot. Simpson uh, is is his name. Ty Simpson, Jason Simpson's son, is a top 2022 quarterback. They want to put an offense. Ole Miss, just like Arkansas, just like Mississippi State, just like Missouri, these new programs probably intended to create a lot of momentum with recruiting in the spring, and then COVID happened. They probably wanted to get a lot done with recruiting in the summer, and then COVID happened. So now the 2020 season, especially for Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss. The 20 season 2020 season has become hey let's put a product on television where we can show the kids that we're recruiting yeah we might not be winning but this is how we're going to play hey watch this you know watch this quarterback this is what we're trying to do and if we had you we would be more effective doing it you can take us to another level but this is what we're trying to look like and for Lane Kiffin i think that's very clear you want to go with a, a passing quarterback a guy who can throw the ball down the field uh, an offense that's dynamic, and John Rice Plumley last season was not that. He he ran the football effectively. He did not throw it effectively. Corral was the starter. He got hurt in September against Cal, and by the time he got well, uh, Ole Miss had kind of moved on. But that offense is gone. That Rich Rodriguez kind of offense is not what Lane Kiffin and Jeff Lebby want to do. They're going to go with Matt Corral. What do you think of of him and the little bit that you've seen him?
1: Well, I think Lane does a really good job of simplifying the offense for the quarterback, basically with pre-snap motions giving quarterbacks easy reads. So I think it's going yep. to aid whoever the quarterback is. And I, you know, having Matt in there is important because I think what they've got to do is they've got to j- get John Rice Plumley on the field. So I think that they'll work to do that because any formation where he's not involved in the offense, I think, is taking away their best playmaker. Um, but I do think the element of being able to run the jet sweeps, run a lot of misdirection, get the ball in his hands, you know, in a very, you know, high percentage throws is important, but not having him at quarterback or maybe throwing him in, in packages. I'm very curious to see, even though Matt gets the start, do they have certain packages where they'll put John Rice Plumley in, uh, maybe kind of the jump start the offense or to give a change of pace or do they resist with that i think it does depend like it always does on how effective they are so i ex- kind of expected it to be matt uh but then if it means that john rice plumney's not on the field i'm not quite sure and i don't think that's going to be the case i'm not quite sure uh, i'm understanding it but i i, I think that they're going to get him on the field enough and I think it's the one thing, the one dynamic that gives them a chance to compete. You know, uh, make some big plays, um, get up early. You know, uh, that, that that to me, you know, defensively, are they going to be able to hold up long enough? Well, the best way is to get a little bit of a lead and be able to come after people, be aggressive. So that's kind of how I see their offense. Ole
0: oh, Miss's schedule before we get to Mississippi State. They open with Florida in uh, week one. They go to Kentucky in week two alabama in oxford on week three they get they have some opportunities kind of in the middle here uh they they go to arkansas october 17th they get auburn at home then they get uh, vanderbilt and south carolina in back-to-back weeks and they finish with uh at texas a&m home with mississippi state and at lsu so there's some opportunities in the middle of their schedule to get a little bit of, of momentum if, if they can survive that start because the start's pretty rough florida at kentucky and and alabama is not Probably the way Lane Kiffin would have liked to draw it up for 2020. All right, let's talk. Uh, let's talk Mississippi State. The uh, the Bulldogs uh, under Mike Leach. You know, another one of those programs, a lot like Kiffin. I think there would have been a lot of spring exposure for Mississippi State. I think their their summer would have been more interesting from a media standpoint, from a recruiting standpoint. COVID had other ideas. Uh, Mike Leach got in some trouble on Twitter. He ended up spending a lot of the summer in Key West. So that his opportunity to get program momentum, much like Lane Kiffin's, went the way of, a, of an, a virus that was completely out of his control. So not his fault, but he starts year zero, I think, in with without a lot of momentum and with people not really knowing what to expect.
1: Yeah, I think this, I know, um, just like with Lane, I know um, Mike pretty well. He is definitely a different dude. I think people know that. I think while Starkville is not the most high-profile job in the SEC, it's high-profile because it's an SEC job. So when you're in Lubbock, when you're in Pullman, um, you can kind of do things, and you still get sound bites, but you don't get it like you're going to get it in Starkville. So here's what we're going to see. We're going to see an offense that's going to pass the game, is going to throw it a bunch, a lot of bubble screens, depending on – K.J. Costello, or everywhere they go with the quarterback position, they'll determine how much downfield they'll go with. But it—it's a they run basically two routes. They run them over and over and over again, and they create matchups, huge line splits, so they'll be able to run the football some out of it. Um, they don't play good defense because they don't play to their defense. You know, when you blow a 50-point lead in one quarter to UCLA, that kind of says it all. Uh, They just have a lot of problems with, you know, playing good complementary ball. So the question is, how do people respond when Mike goes off on his players and starts because it's never Mike's fault. It it won't be Mike's fault. It'll be players not doing this or that. How is that going to go in in a football-centric SEC in Starkville as opposed to, you know, where they could take it or leave it in, in Pullman? Uh, they're going to be some ups and downs. They're going to pull some surprises. They're going to pull an upset, but they're going to pull some stinkers too. And I'm not just talking this year. I'm thinking going forward. So the fit, I think it's always a fit until you start playing, and you'll see. And you know the whole defensive approach is always going to be an issue with Mike. So I'm very you get better talent there. Can recruit better talent, but the style in the system is he is just
0: unwielding on that can that work in the in the sec west that i style? think
1: i think it's going to be tough if you have great expectations at mississippi state no if you want to have something that's a little fun that's a little exciting and you can go to a bowl game and win seven games a year in a normal year yeah i think he could do that absolutely can do that if you're thinking it's going to be like well wait a minute under dan mullen we did this
0: yeah that ain't happening. But see that—that's the deal, though. Under Dan Mullen, they did do that. Dan Mullen was an excellent coach at, at Mississippi State. He's an excellent coach at Florida, and he turned them into a program that, not that long ago, Chris in the middle of November was number one in the country. He turned them into a program much like Hugh Freeze did at, at Ole Miss. And this—this this has changed. Whether they—whether it should or shouldn't—is another argument for people to have. Doesn't? I, I always say this. My, my wife gets mad at me. I think there—there there are, there are two worlds. There's—there's there's the. There's an ideal world, and there's the real world. And some people would say, hey, man, those people at Ole Miss, those people at Mississippi State, those people at Arkansas, they don't get it. Those programs don't belong in the same class with LSU and Alabama and Auburn and Texas A&M. That's an argument you can make. You can make it with – you can put some PowerPoint uh, points behind it and go, see, look. Yeah, but that that's not the pres- – That's not the real world, because in the real world, at Arkansas, they remember Bobby Petrino having them on the cusp of being a national power. The real world, at Ole Miss, they remember Hugh Freeze taking Ole Miss to the Peach Bowl, and then to the Sugar Bowl, and kicking Oklahoma State's ass, and coming a weird play against Arkansas away from really shaking up the the college football playoff system, and at Mississippi State, they remember those couple of years there with Dak Prescott at quarterback, and Dan Mullen at... Uh, on those sidelines, where Mississippi State was, uh, they were one of the upper-crust programs in the league. They went to Alabama undefeated in late November, ranked number one in the country. I mean, that's mm-hmm. legit. You can't take right. that. Those things happened. And and you can, on the outside, tell those people at those three programs, well, those were flukes. Those, those fans don't view them as right. flukes, and they're not going to view them as flukes, and that's what changes the expectation level for Sam Pittman, for Lane Kiffin, for Mike Leach.
1: And look, I don't think that you should hide from expectations. You should not aspire. But the reality is, I think for them, they're going to have to have stability. They're going to have to have a program that, you know, well, let's take like a Dan. Let's take like a Hugh Freeze. Um, You know, can Mike Leach recruit at an elite level? That's not his strength. That's not what he likes. Uh, He believes it's about him. Um, so you know, to build a solid program for all the things that he did, he recruited well and got players in the Ole Miss that others weren't able to do. And Dan didn't get big time players, but Dan was great at recruiting, at finding his niche and developing and benefiting from the fact that they had four or five years into the program. And so he was able to develop guys. So that worked. You can do that. But if you do that at o- at Ole Miss at Mississippi State. You're still going to need help. LSU's going to have to struggle. Alabama, you know, somebody's going to have to struggle. Now, yeah. Ole Miss beat Alabama when Alabama was really good. Yeah. Uh, you know, LSU had a little bit of, you know, so you've got to have it both. So, you know, it's kind of like the Missouri fan that we talked about. Hey, you're not going to win the East if, if Georgia, Florida, Tennessee are doing it right. You, you're just not. You can have a good year. So. The only thing you can control is stability, building a good foundation in a program, and then you're going to have your times where you're able to get a win here or there. And you may be, instead of you winning seven or eight, maybe you can win nine. We've seen that happen. But to expect it regularly because it happened once, that's kind of unrealistic. It's just, to me, it's like, you know, well, it's no different than, say, the LSU fan that thinks that they've replaced Alabama as the best team in the West. Well, you haven't. You were the best team last year, just like Auburn was the best team for a couple of years and and beat Alabama, but Alabama has been more consistent. So when you're at Ole Miss, you're at Mississippi State, when you can do it and you can win the conference or you can win 10 games a year, 11 games a year, and you can do it for five years in a row, then you've established something that heretofore you've not been able to do. So I think there needs to be a certain amount of reality of what's successful and what's not, and you can have any expectations that you want, but if you have an expectation that we should be like Alabama and you've never really been since the 50s, (laughs) then you probably are going to be disappointed. That's at least my view on it, and things are always subject to change because you know what? Nick Saban leaves. LSU has we see it happen. Teams come back to the pack. We've seen South Carolina and Missouri. We've seen Mississippi State win the West. We've seen Arkansas win the West. It was done in years when those top programs weren't getting it done. So get it done, and then if there's cracks in the armors in the other place, you might get it done and build momentum to where maybe you can stay up there a little bit longer.
0: All right, last thing, and then we'll we'll let go. We'll come back on Friday. We'll talk SEC East. Uh, Real quick, just your thoughts, Uh, Southern Miss, uh, makes a change. Jay Hobson out at Southern Miss. And my question is we mentioned Hugh Freeze a couple of times here talking about Ole Miss, his name already popping up at Southern Miss. Quick question. Well have a lot of time over the course of the next several months to talk about the Southern Miss job, Hugh Freeze, coaching changes, etc. Today, right now, today, what's a better job? Liberty or Southern Miss?
1: Oh um, well let me let me say this. I think that the issue is for most places, I think Southern Miss, but if you're at Liberty and you're winning and you can maybe get a better job than Southern Miss from Liberty, then maybe making that move doesn't make a lot of sense. It may not make a lot of sense, too, because you're going back into the hornet's nest, at least in the state where maybe, you know, some people are not. Some people may embrace it. Neil. You you've got a great feel, but a lot of people won't. You know, so I would say that he would probably, if he had the opportunity, would be better off staying where he is until he gets that opportunity that's better than Southern Miss. So if you're asking me and, and I'm advising, I do a lot of coaching church work. Hey, I got a chance to get the Liberty job or Southern Miss job. I would say the Southern Miss job. But if you're at Liberty and you got a chance to get a better job, I mean, it's just, you know, it's like, um, you know, it's, it's like anything else. It's You You want to make sure that you don't take a job that's going to put you further down. I, I think that he's got it. I think, Hugh, as, as time moves on, he's going to get an opportunity. He's just too good of a coach, and I think he's doing a too good of a job at Liberty to, to be ignored for a job that, quite frankly, may be a lot better than Southern Miss coming up here soon, in a year or two
0: all right chris thanks so much for the time we'll uh we'll wrap Thank it up you. there yeah we'll so thanks to everybody who was in the stream to check, the out,
1: check out neil mccready we got a little time check out neil mccready where can they find you all the great stuff on your website
0: yeah it's uh you can follow me on twitter at neil mccready uh you can look on mpw digital our network of podcasts we've got the oxford exxon podcast the soft verbal podcast the greatest Pod in the south there's a lot there uh just like Chris has a lot going on at Landry football. So we'll come back on Friday. We'll talk SEC East as we get closer and closer to the SEC kickoff. It'll also be the day after the Chiefs and the Texans kick off the NFL season. So we'll have some NFL to talk about as well. Until next time, that does it for this edition of SEC Football and Beyond. For Chris Landry, I'm Neil McCready. Take care. All right, my man. I'll, Thanks, uh, I'll, man. I'll get I'm, so,
1: up. I'm sorry. I don't know what's going on, but I'm I'm sorry. I'll just keep trying to figure it out. I don't know. I, I keep asking my tech. guy, nothing. Everything's set up. On...
0: Oh, I don't know. We'll figure it out. All right. I got to get uh, okay. into another one. Thank
1: okay. you. Right. Bye bye.
0: Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry. Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh. Ah. Oh.